it's just so common to push things forward, right? A lot of decisions and things and and I'm not saying it's it's just everyone's on the development team's fault all the time, but it it is a shared responsibility that sometimes things go wrong and you're mm-hmm. you're coming in too late with stuff and you're like, oh, but this doesn't work and why didn't we know that sooner or we need to make this better? Um, because everyone wants to make something that they're proud of, right? That's Jesper Nielsen talking about ambition and responsibility for a team of developers in a big AAA studio. Jesper works at EA Dice, and I asked him what it means to be a game producer on a game like Battlefield and how he got there. We also talked about his other big passion and the game that he's privately most bitten by at the moment. I'm Seventh Son, and I hope you'll enjoy this episode of Player Characters. Hi Jesper, and welcome to Player Characters. Hello, thanks. What I try to do here is I try to talk to people that are working within the games industry in some way or the other, and I want to hear what motivates them, what drives them, and what makes them pursue uh, video games as a job in the first place to get all the juicy details on how they did it, for instance. Hopefully I can get a glimpse behind the scenes and perhaps it can even inspire others. So why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and what it is you do for a living? Sure. Um, yeah, so my name is uh, Jesper. I'm currently working as a producer at uh, DICE, uh, which is part of uh, EA. Um, and I've been part of DICE for the last four years or so. I had a small period where I went back to Denmark, worked for a few other companies like IO Interactive, but now I'm back at DICE at the moment. I've been part of uh, making some of the games like Battlefield 4 and Star Wars Battlefront. Uh, currently working on a Uh, unannounced projects, uh, so unfortunately, yeah, I can't talk too much about that, obviously. No. Um, but uh, but yeah, working there, um, been in the industry for I think six six years or so now, yeah. and uh, yeah, enjoying it. That's nice. If anybody shouldn't know exactly what who Dice is, it's a it's a Swedish game company that uh, got started in 1992, and since 2006, it's been part of EA. They they bought a lot of the shares, and and now they totally own everything. And as you yep. said, you're making the Battlefield games, of course. That's your, that's your big, really big title there. Also, yes. Star Wars Battlefront, of course, but also Mirror's Edge. And if anybody remembers uh, games like Rally Sport Challenge, and oh, yeah. uh, I remember Midtown Madness. Three yes. is one of the games that I played very early on Xbox Live, uh, and of course, also you you you're the the people the the company behind the Frostbite engine for that uh, EA, of course, um, yeah, well, use for a lot of their games. Oh yeah, I mean it's 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 basically all the EA games now using Frostbite, um, which was a recent move to to try and and really make sure that the engine becomes uh, much stronger and and much more usable. Um, i mean, it, it definitely has a lot of um, strong uh, capabilities to it, but uh, when you make sure that all EA Studios use it, uh, you can help really make sure that it's more versatile and and can adapt to any kind of game. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. So Frostbite was the engine that that dies themselves. Then they they created for the Battlefield games, right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And since then, it has kind of spun up into spun off into its own separate uh, division within EA. Oh, okay. 
But uh, if we go back, what's your first memory of gaming? My first memory of gaming—it's—it's a, it's a good question. My my early memories are sometimes a bit jumbled in in, <laughs> in terms of like when did which, which things occurred first. I think my first really really sh- the, the strongest memory of gaming is when I got my Nintendo uh, and I played uh, Super Mario Bros. Three. Mainly, I had a few other games for it, but that was the that was the main attraction. Uh, yeah. Obviously, it was a was an amazing game, and uh, I played it for countless countless hours. Yeah. Um, also got an, um, an Amiga at some point with a lot of games on that. But as far as I remember back then, I was so young that I barely knew what I was doing. I was just, you know, messing around, but I don't think I ever completed a level in anything. Um, um, but that's, that's kind of my, my earliest memory. That's the, the good old Nintendo NES. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's also a strong start. Uh, I must say really, oh, yeah. really such a perfect game. I think if I were to ask that same question to myself, it would be, just the the first one super mario brothers but just uh, realizing how a, a game could be much more than the a lot of games at the time were like arcade games of course and they just yeah. had the single screen uh, like bomberjack or something like that and even the original mario brothers and then just the scrolling thing and then realizing oh it's not just a scrolling thing there's actually secrets in here and they have the the warp zones and stuff like that 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 completely blew my mind i was like what the hell is going on here? Yes. Um, so that was a, that was pretty amazing. But you mentioned the Amiga, so so you sort of you're both a console guy and a and a and a PC guy or a computer guy. Yeah, I've been going uh, quite back and forth actually over the years. You know, started started with um, mainly being a console guy with the Nintendo with the with the Game Boy as well. Um, yeah. At some point, I moved on to PC for a, a period of years. Um, Played a lot of games on that. Fell in love with you know strategy and sim games like SimCity and uh, the Command and Conquer series and Age of Empires. Also, you know, played a lot of the other classics like uh, Unreal and Counter Strike and Diablo and what have you. Uh, and then I kind of went back uh, to to console for a while, especially with uh, with Xbox. I was uh, you know I became a huge uh, fan of that uh, project and you know logically became a huge well I was a huge fan of the Halo project I think that was was what also turned me to Xbox at that point I, anyway yeah um so I actually went on to console for many years there and then like 5 years ago I started returning to to playing more and more on PC again uh, it's a bit of a mixture now but I think right at this point I'm I'm probably mainly a PC game I would say okay at home, that is, you you play mostly on PC. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, but but how do you get into how do you get into to producing video games? How's your what's your journey there? So I think um, my ambition to work with games started back in um, back in gymnasium, the Danish version of uh, college, you would say, or high school. Yeah, <clears throat> and. At that time, I think I, I I had a desire to work with game design. It came. You know, out of passion uh, for for the medium, uh, I, I was extremely fascinated by games. I consumed a lot of games, and I I felt like that was something that I wanted to do. Yeah. And um, so I started looking into what kind of options there were. And at that time, they had they were just about to start up the the video games course at the IT University of Denmark. That was completely brand new at that time because I didn't really know like how to pursue a career in, in gaming. Oh, I was I was pretty naive, you could say actually. <laughs> um, so I started like pondering what my road to that would be and at that point in time they only had a um, a master's so I would have to get my bachelor anywhere. So I started, you know, in gymnasium looking into a little bit of uh, programming 
<clears throat> and 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 some other you know small things like trying out uh, learning Photoshop and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah. When I went to university, I actually um, went down the path of of uh, Humaniora um, because I, I decided I I didn't want to focus on on the technical side on programming. And if I wanted to work with game design, it would be good to know more about, you know, the human psyche, uh, yeah, yeah. what drives us as humans and all of that. So I had a lot of, you know, philosophy and psychology and all of that. And then I get, got into the, the Masters in IT University. I took that line there. But I very quickly discovered, actually, because then I was surrounded by a lot of other people that were very passionate about games. Mm. <clears throat> and I actually quickly discovered that I, I didn't find myself to be the best uh, at game design. Um, mm. There were a lot of people there that I was very, you know, struck by as amazing game designers that could take, you know, simple concepts and turn them into uh, amazing gameplay very uh, easily. But what I did find is was that I had a, a knack for, you know, keeping a group uh, motivated, focused, organized, um, energized, and and just being very passionate myself about. Trying to make uh, give giving get that group the best possible circumstances, and that's when I realized that that maybe um, going into something like producing and project management could be uh, much more appealing for me. Okay. And then I discovered that there was this uh, Danish um, there's this Danish course called Dadu, which is a collaboration between the several different Danish um, educational institutes yeah. where they bring in artists from an art school, they bring in programmers from the tech schools and so forth. And then I joined that as a, as a producer and uh, that's where I really started to, to, to test my skills in there and learn some, uh, um, some core skills and get the right theory and all of that. Okay. So that's uh, that's the short and long answer, I guess. Okay. So so a producer in 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 video game setting, that's that's a bit like a a project management or a project lead in some way. Well, it actually differs quite a bit, right? So I mean, for most companies, for most video game companies, I would say yes, producer is very much like a project manager. For some, a producer is a little bit more of a product owner. Yeah. Uh, and that's the case at at at, at EA and and Dice actually. Um, okay. So at at Dice you usually or at EA in general, you usually have um, in a in a game project a trifecta of people. So you have a producer, which is the overall product owner, and in the end the decisions comes comes down to the producer. And then you have a development director, which is more like the project manager, handling staffing, budgeting, and all of those things, and then planning. Yeah. And then you have the creative director, which which owns the game vision uh, and, and figuring out what kind of game we're making. Oh, um, okay. So the producer is also kind of has has the um, responsibility to make sure that the game being made is both the right game for the for the players, uh, being an advocate for the players, making sure that that you know it's 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 you know, possible to do. You know, talking to the development director with that, making sure that it's realistic, it's doing the right things. Also making sure that it's the right thing for the for the business. I mean, it, it is a you know a job. Uh, people need to get paid. They have uh, families to yeah, support, and and of course you know the companies are publicly traded, all of that. So you know money needs to be made, and they also need to make sure that it's the right uh, game for the business. Something that means makes sense uh, financially, or just has the right profile for the company. Yeah, yeah. So they kind of you know own the overall uh, package, but then there's different people within that 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 owns other aspects of the game. 
That's, that's 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 interesting because like of course uh, in in music uh, a producer has uh, a lot of creative input and in yeah. in, in movie industries it's it's like a producer is basically <laughs> somebody who comes up with the money they they don't really have anything they don't necessarily have anything to say for the movie itself but here it sounds like yeah a, a sort of like a, a product owner. Uh, and if people are familiar with the, with the Scrum network in in that's in, in development like uh, coding like I do, that the product owner is sort of uh, the the spokesperson for the the higher ups within the company that they yes. maybe want to they can say uh, we'd like this part of the game or or this idea for a game or something like that, and then then you are like the the middleman to sort of uh, yeah um, go back and forth with ideas and and questions, and of course you have to. I guess uh, that's the way it is in coding anyway that that you have to to answer questions from the team that's that's sort of your responsibility uh yeah in and in, in certain ways and then also you have to sort of uh, figure out when is it okay that you just answer and when do you have to to go up and ask your boss if that's the right thing but obviously you can't go ask your 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 boss every single single time no no that that would be not be very efficient so so obviously um Game creation is is super creative. It 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 it's, it just has to be creative in a lots of ways, and 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 also in my perspective, coding in itself is also very a creative endeavor. But 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 this like like this sort of Scrum structure that you're running, how, how do you how do, it, it it can be very rigid in a way, or um or, or it could be like ideas only come from the top down. How do, how do you make sure that that the creative juices uh, flow or are throughout the company as a whole? Yeah, I mean, that's always uh, tricky um, and not necessarily because there are people at the top that doesn't, that don't want to listen to other people's ideas, but no, it's no. just sometimes very difficult actually to, to surface things. I mean, in, in, in AAA um, game development, you have a lot of uh, people involved in a project and how do you make sure that, that the ideas, uh, you know, flow to the top and it's the right ideas because there are tons of ideas out there, right? And how yeah. do you know which ones are the best? I think the, what works, what I've seen work really well is just when you make sure that the company has a very open, uh, communication structure yeah. where no one is shielded, that there's the right communication tools to make sure that, that ideas flow, that, that other people can support them and back them up. Uh, and that the right people are exposed to those ideas. Yeah. Um, something that that we, for example, started using a while back uh, is a is a communication platform called Slack, which yeah. is is it's a very it's a modern um, instant messaging group messaging kind of service. And you know, it's great to see sometimes in there where you know people can just come in and they can discuss various things. And sometimes it's talking about you know games in development are already out, and they talk about things that they don't see working for them or that the community is bringing up and you know you know various people are there and they're listening and sometimes if a discussion is really picking up steam you will you, you know the, the right people will see it and it will be brought up and and you know it needs to flow organically because you can't just have an idea box and then put ideas into that and then have one person sift through it because that will just create bottlenecks yeah so having these kind of um you know, if you're a small company and just a few people and you can sit in the same office, it's not a problem. No. It's just when it grows and you become a lot of people that are in various rooms, sometimes you're at various locations at different time zones, you're not always at the same place, you need to make sure it's done organically. Yeah. And then you need to distribute decision power uh, as much as possible and delegate uh, authority, right? So, so even though there's a 
creative director on a project or a senior producer that, that has the final say in a lot of things, you try to make sure that you create the right framework so a lot of you know, smaller decisions within different sub-areas can be made without uh, your own presence being needed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you give down, you know, give away decision power as much as possible. You need to make sure, of course, again, you have the right frame set because otherwise you'll create a game that feels like 10 different games because a lot of different decisions were made in, in, in different areas. So you need to, again, you need to have the right framework that's super tough. You need to make sure that people understand what's the overall vision, what's kind of the the yes and the no's. Like, can you can you give people a a rule set to follow so they kind of know, oh, is this the right direction or not the right direction? Because yeah. a game is still about an artistic vision, right? And and yeah. some some sort of idea and vision of how it should be done. And of course, you learn things during development and you change the course a bit, but still it has to feel somewhat cohesive and coherent. Yeah, yeah, Otherwise, yeah. it'll just become a mess. Yeah. Sweden seems to be a, a, a good place for for this um, modern way of uh, thinking on, on building a product. I don't know if you know, but but Spotify is is, yeah. is very very famous for doing their own unique version of from AI feature teams and stuff like that. And they have yeah. uh, YouTube videos up, and they they go around actually. Um, yeah, having talks with other people on how they're doing it, and you can follow our model for various things. Do you think is Sweden a good place for this, or is is it just uh, yeah the same everywhere? Or? Um, it's hard to see, um, say. I mean, I've only worked in Sweden and Denmark. <clears throat> um, from from what I've heard in some stories, I think in general in Scandinavia, yeah, um, we've uh, we've been prone to have a, a healthier work in mind work environment just because we're not as authorita- authoritative as, as some other places in the world. Mm. Um, it's mainly based on stories that I've heard, but you know, in some other countries, it's a little bit more strict in terms of top-down management. Uh, you need to know your place. You need to answer, report in an answer to a certain person. And in Scandinavia, we are a bit more challenging, right? We we like to challenge authority. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. But I think overall, it's it's pretty healthy. Um, it's healthy for a company to to always be challenged from within. Uh, it will help ensure that you always stay stay focused and stay um, critical of what you're doing so you can improve yeah so I think I think there's something there um, but it's hard to say I, I there's probably other countries in the world with the same kind of uh, mindset and philosophy built into a, their culture um, yeah well for instance you can hear stories about how how Google is doing this and they are right. I think uh, way ahead of, of, of almost Every other company in the world, but but even though they're they they even wrote books about it, it it's obvious that uh, every single company just can't f- follow the Google way. There's lots of reasons why that's impossible, and and many people don't see it like that, and they, they want to do it. So it's <laughs> it's not as easy as just just hearing oh that works for for company X, and now we are doing the same because it's it doesn't always work like that, obviously. It's true, but but then on the other hand, I think uh, a lot of times it also comes down to having the guts and the courage to do it. Uh, yeah. Often it will cost you know you money to 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 you know follow those practices, and that's that's uh, that's scary. And and do you know it works, and how do you value or measure if it works? And mm-hmm. sometimes it takes time to really to to really measure that effect. Yeah. So I think a lot of times it's also about you know daring to to break free and and to try some of those things. It's easy to just point it to Google and say, well, they earn tons of money from <laughs> yeah. from their ad revenue, and they do, and they do, yeah. and they are struggling to find new ways, right? But I yeah. think. Um, I think they're doing a lot of right things. Um, 
I also hear that a lot of things have changed over the recent years, which is very common for companies to do where it becomes a little bit more rigid and and and, and yeah. organized, which is not a, always healthy for innovation. But no. um, but yeah, so be it. Do you have any do any do you have any peers in, in the industry that you can you can talk to about on a like like your work your type of work how do we do this uh, what's the, what's the new way to to be a producer or stuff like that Yeah I mean um obviously there's sometimes the secrecy of the projects makes makes it a little bit hard at times right Yeah yeah Obviously Dice is part of you know Electronic Arts which is a huge company with a lot of producers and you know electronic arts tries to ensure that there can be you know a good amount of knowledge sharing within that company um so we at least can learn from within yeah and then of course there's the various conferences like uh gdc game developers conference um that's held every year yeah and other similar conferences and i think that's the that's the main source and then of course there's just the more informal people that you know yeah. um that you sometimes meet up with at various events just because you kind of go to the same stuff or whatever and then you discuss you know various projects and and problems that you're running into or or ideas on how to solve certain things yeah. um and there's i mean there's a there's a great uh, as a as a smaller example a great group on on Facebook called uh, the, the player of games which is for a lot of uh, people working in the games industry or something has something to do with games and there can be a lot of great um Debates going on there at times, not always relating to, for example, how to how to work with games or how to be a good producer, but sometimes at least topics that, that touch upon those subjects. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then again, you know, areas like that um, is is a great way to to kind of reflect and um, think new ways and get inspirations. Yeah. Do you have anyone that you admire? That I admire. Yeah. Um, Yeah, uh, I I have <laughs> I have lots of people that I admire. If if there's someone you know more more known, um, I think someone like uh, Gabe Newell from Valve. Yeah. Um, you know that that uh, Gaben that a lot of people probably know of, and and he's you know him and Valve they're taking a lot of flack these days because of oh they're not doing games anymore and it's just Steam and yada yada. I think the way he has handled um, his business Valve. The way they're approaching stuff, how they're setting up things to work, the autonomy they have there. Yeah. I've always admired their um, courage to go beyond just games. Yeah. Um, I, I think sometimes it's very, you know, the companies they tend to focus on just the products that they make, and like we make this product or this kind of products, instead of trying to understand well what can we do, what are our skills, what are our competencies. Yeah. And then try to utilize that. And they saw an opportunity with with uh, Steam and that kind of stuff. Now they're looking into stuff like VR, and that's because they have people in the company that are skilled within those areas, that are passionate within yeah. those areas. And if you if you can give you know skilled people uh, the possibility to work within their areas of passion, a lot of great stuff can happen. And I think he's done that. And then yes, maybe the results coming out of Valve recently haven't been something that have gotten the juices flowing from people but I'm I'm sure that you know they will help set a lot of great standards and do a lot of benchmark work for VR Steam overall has been huge for PC gaming even though yes there's areas that can use improvements but mm. I mean PC gaming were dying before Steam yeah 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 and they they have helped revitalize it uh, not them alone but that's been an important factor so um so yeah I I admire him a lot yeah. uh, and then another person is uh, Walt Disney 
Yeah. I'm a huge, huge fan of of, of Disney uh, in general, but especially Walt. Uh, again, it's a lot about courage, uh, following your dreams, putting your foot where your mouth is, um, and just having being very inspiring as a person, uh, being able to dream big and go big with a lot of things. Yeah. Um, I'm especially a big fan of the Disney theme parks. Um, yeah. And they're, you know, investment in, in strong, strong storytelling and theming. Um, and yeah, he, I think he was a very inspiring person in general. And, 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 you know, he's the kind of person where when you, when you hear him talk, uh, it's a little bit like Steve Jobs. I'm not always the biggest Apple fan, but I think Steve Jobs was also really uh, yeah, inspiring. Yeah. You know, you listen to them and you believe them and you trust them and you are ready to follow them anywhere. And that's uh, that's very powerful. Yeah, I think uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Walt Disney also have a bit of a bit of a reputation like uh, Steve Jobs to be a bit of a bully, <laughs> almost like like he's at a temper. He, yeah, and he believes so much in his own ideas that it, it, it's impossible for for anybody else to say, "Oh, that that doesn't work," or "That that's not going to be like that." And of course, that that is perhaps a, a bit of a, a negative in some ways but obviously uh, it, it drove them and their companies uh, a long way so so the the net of it is probably it, it's a good thing to have a have a dreamer like that 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 can sometimes push other people to to do more than they would have i think yeah i mean does the does the goal justify the the steps required to take you there that's the question right but i think in the end it's because they were both people that were extremely passionate about what they're doing they were perfectionists yeah they wanted that from people and when they didn't see that um they got very they got very tough right and sometimes maybe not so uh, uh, fairly and i think it's a very it's 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 a tough to be in that kind of position um but uh and there's you know, definitely ways to do that, perhaps in a better way. But it's it might also sacrifice some quality in the end if you don't have that. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's if if you have an eye for for details uh, and you and you sort of hammer the, you, other people around you about those details, it can be if you write about those details and you can explain why this is the right way, or you in, at least you can explain that that this is your vision and it's it's going to work for my vision when it's like this. I, I think. People are more prone to to accept it, even accept your your bullyish behavior, if if they can sort of see that the, the in the bigger picture it's it's actually correct what you what you're trying to do. And uh, I think that make that's a difference between Steve Jobs or Walt Disney and maybe other guys who are just like you know bullies, just like a bad boss that just doesn't <laughs> listen and he's just on about his own ideas that that are not really good, right? I think it's also about how you push people, right? And and it's just, it's a very fine balance, right? Because yeah. Sometimes, you know, when you push people, they can excel and they can do much better than they ever thought they could. Yeah. Um, but there's also a limit, right, where you push them too far and it just becomes, it. you, you just, you know, drain them. You, you almost kill them in the process and you can then ask, is that worth it? So, you know, how to push people, how to make, because sometimes if you do it in the right way, you actually make them, you know, really fly and they also feel that and they get a boost from that and it doesn't yeah. become too hard either. It's almost like sports. If you can push that, uh, you know, athlete to do the best as a coach, you know, how ah, they get high on that. Yeah. Um, and it's a very fine balance. It's a very tricky thing. It's actually one of the, um, I think one of the toughest things at all. And, and, you know, as some sort of, as any leader, it's kind of what you have to do. You have to try and, and find the best in people and, and give them the opportunity to excel. Sometimes yeah. that requires pushing. I think fundamentally, 
as, as long as you make sure you have their situation in mind and doesn't just doesn't just become a means to an end, but it's also about making them thrive. It's not just about the product they make, right? It's also about making sure that they feel like they accomplish something and they're doing great and they're contributing. Mm-hmm. If you have that as a focus, I think you're on a safer path. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you forget that, right? That's that's the tricky part. There's a story about uh, I want to say John F. Kennedy, uh, and I'm like I'm not <laughs> completely sure about the timing of it, but it, it it was the American president who started the the NASA going to the moon yes, project, yes. and I'm pretty sure that's John F. Kennedy. But there's a yes. story about. Uh, uh, creating motivation in, in in your workers, so to speak. Uh, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it doesn't really uh, answer how, but it just shows the level of motivation. And the story is that John F. Kennedy was visiting uh, uh, some NASA uh, plant factory. They were they were building the the, the rocket ship, the, the spaceship. And uh, then there's a janitor on the floor, and Kennedy asks him, "So, so what are you doing, sir?" And he says, "I'm building a rocket ship, sir." Um, <laughs> And and that just goes to show that obviously he was sweeping the floors, right? So so I mean it, it could have been anybody doing that. He wasn't really actually a part of of, of the rug, not in the same way that the guys who were making the balls or the programmers were. But but the idea is here that that his level of commitment was that he was he was he was building a space rocket. And obviously in the bigger picture, if everybody in your team and and team this is like team on the biggest level feels that way, you're, you're just gonna go into have have a better product product than if the janitor thinks. I'm not. I'm not a part of this. It doesn't even Absolutely. matter. I can just, you know, a little bit, a bit of dust in the corner. That doesn't matter, right? And Absolutely. I mean, you want to make sure it's. You want to make sure it's not just a job, right? Yeah, it's exactly. not just. I'm just doing these things. Um, that's not going to give you the best. The best game. No. So can can you can you do this uh, your whole life? Can you have this job your whole life? That's a good question. I hope. <laughs> I, I hope so. It's. Uh, I mean, it's a young industry. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of young people, and I'm sometimes wondering, especially with, you know, retirement ages going up and up and up and up. I'm wondering, like, can I can a, can a 70 year old guy be running around in this environment? I'm hoping that the industry matures with me. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, having a lot of young people is great. It gives a lot of energy. Um, sometimes that all that's also the downfall of the industry. Um, I think in some ways it has matured because. People have grown up. There's more people. I don't have statistics for it, but I believe that there's much more people working with games now that have a family, that have kids, yeah. and have other commitments. And that has helped a little bit turn focus to also, hey, we need to make games in a way that we can make sure that we also have a life outside of it. Yeah. Um, but still, it's, I'm kind of looking at it like, oh, can I can I be in this when I'm 70 years old and not look completely and sound completely ridiculous? Mm-hmm. From a stress level and kind of the general, oh, it's tough to work with games. Um, I, I think so. It's, I, I think that the industry has gotten a lot better. It probably depends a lot on where you work and some yeah. of the projects that you're in and then how stressful it becomes. And I have been part of, of stressful periods, but I've, I've also heard stories of, of, of crunches and other, you know, stressful moments that I haven't been a part of that sounds much worse than what I've been going through. Yeah. So I, I have my, my underlying feeling is that it is getting better. Um, but yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Uh, the stories about crunches, uh, and I even think that the most famous stories was actually about EA, if I'm remembering correctly, the the spouse of an EA worker that oh, yes. she wrote this uh, email about about crunch time that that didn't sound so nice uh, to oh, say no. the least. But but uh, that's definitely not just a problem for EA and. Uh, 
maybe we are protected a bit by our Scandinavian workers' laws here, so it's it doesn't get it completely out of hand. Um, and I think uh, it's, it's it, it must be pretty obvious that that you guys you can you can achieve uh, results uh, just as just as well as as other companies. You don't have to work uh, eight days a week. It, it, Absolutely it's... not. But again, sometimes it's not just what a company mandates, right? It's also you start building up this game project and a lot of people buy into the vision and yeah. you want to make it bigger and you want to make it grander. And um, it's so weird, right? Because when you're working on a project that takes several years, it's just so common to push things forward, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of decisions and things and... And I'm not saying it's it's just everyone's on the development team's fault all the time, but it it is a shared responsibility that sometimes things go wrong and you're mm. you're coming in too late with stuff and you're like, oh, but this doesn't work and why didn't we know that sooner or we need to make this better, um, because everyone wants to make something that they're proud of, right? Yeah. Um, and it's it I would say it's a collective responsibility at times. Sometimes it's more higher up, sometimes it's more lower down where it starts and where it lands, but. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's because there's a lot of passionate people in this industry, right? There's a yeah. lot of passionate people that want to make great stuff. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes they also just believe more is achievable than it is. That's also where you know veterancy seniority comes in, right? Again, yeah. a lot of young people, the younger you are, the less experienced you are, the more you think you can do uh, yeah. compared to what you actually can do at times. Oh. Um, so in that in that way, you know, having more and more you know, people that have grown up and been in this industry many years is, is also very um, important because they can help say, you know, this is not realistic early on. Yeah. And put down their foot. Hmm. So, what would you be doing if you weren't uh, working as a producer? Um, my the the thing I'm saying, uh, the only thing I would rather work on than video games is uh, theme parks. <laughs> you know, I talked about Disney before, and yeah, I have yeah. a huge crush on the, on on theme parks. Um, so that would be—I don't know what I would be doing there. I have absolutely no clue. Probably some sort of, uh, you know, producer, project manager, leaderish kind of role. Yeah. But uh, but yeah. <laughs> I'm hearing that the that actually Disney parks they they have this. Uh, I wouldn't call it a, a a virtual thing, but they they have this. Uh, some sort of club where you can you can do stuff online and and it'll it'll basically trigger things in your mobile device. So when you get to the actual Disney park, it they have a sort of maybe it's Bluetooth, I don't know, but 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 some sort of a short range uh, um, Wi-Fi capabilities that'll recognize you as a special person, and then you can actually get get um, like special um, experiences within uh, the parks because you you're part of this uh, Disney Club program. You're, well, it's 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 um it's something they call Magic Band. It's something they only have in their their Walt Disney World Park at this point. Okay. But it's basically a way for you to um yeah be have a digital identity when you're in the parks. Yeah. And you can do some stuff where you can like book things online, so you can book um into this fast pass ride system, so you can get it you know into a faster line at specific points in time. So you can do that in advance and book. <clears throat> book uh, restaurants and it's also your hotel key and all kinds of stuff and then you know there's various attractions and uh, some of the characters that walks around in the parks that can interact with it so for example when you're on an attraction it can recognize that it's you and then when it takes a picture of you in the attraction it's automatically linked to your online account so you automatically have that picture hmm. 
And, you know, characters, when they meet a young girl at the park and greet her, they can say her name and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's sometimes not as impressive as it sounds yet. I mean, there's still a lot of stuff to, to figure out with that technology, but it's a very interesting foundation. And it's like, that's the thing, right? Theme parks are actually a lot like games um, when you look at it and becoming more and more like games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or some sort of live action role-playing game because you step into this you know, fully immersive theme world. If you've only been to Tivoli or Bark in, in Denmark or some of those less themed uh, amusement parks, you probably can't really follow what I'm talking about. But if you try one of the, the Disney parks or Universal Studios, it's like, you know, you have the sights, you have the sounds, you have the smell even at times of actually being in a place uh, and really stepping into a different world. And I find that extremely fascinating. And yeah. they are doing more and more to to know that it's you and to try to make the you know, rides more personal uh, to f- to make f- make you feel like you're part of this world and you're a character in this world. Yeah. So, do you have any advice for 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 people who'd like to to work in the video game industry as a producer or, or anything else? Um, in general, if you want to work with games, it's something that I didn't do enough myself when I was when I was young and wanted to work with it. But that is make games um, as much as possible. It's it's easier today than it's ever been with some of the development tools that are out there like Unity. You can yeah. download it for free, right? There's tons of tutorials when you have the internet now. Back when I was young, it was like, you know, I had to try and find books almost and finding people to work with and all of that and, and getting into developing a game. I mean, there wasn't that many engines. Um, but that's no. actually, that's not really an excuse. If you want to do it, you can do it. You can sit down and you can experiment. You can start learning. And that is, that, that's, I would say, is, is step one. Um, and if you want to work um, as a producer, um, anything you can get into where you will have some sort of leadership role, uh, organizing, becoming a volunteer organizer for a festival or something like that, um, that's great. Um, anything where you have to organize a group of people doing certain activities, that's you know immensely valuable. Um, it, because it is a lot about making sure that people always understand what to do, that they're excited about doing it, uh, that you make sure that problems are surfaced and taken care of and all of that, and making sure that the team is really thriving and healthy and motivated and make sure that they um, they really become the best the best uh, selves that they can be. Yeah. And any- I'm sure there's plenty of opportunities in, <laughs> to do to do that uh, yeah, yeah. because it's it's pretty pretty tough. Yeah, I, I can uh, imagine so. So, are there any uh, any particular game that you wish you you had worked on? Um, that would probably be Halo, the first Halo. <laughs> it's it's still one of my all-time favorites. Um, I was extremely I had a huge crush on that game. If you can have a crush on a game, mm-hmm. and I was just so fascinated by it back then when it came out. It did so many things right. I think. The, the way that it, yes, there had been some great uh, first-person shooters on console before Halo, like, you know, Rare, Skull, Deny, and Perfect Dark. Um, but the way that, that they approached it, and also now when you hear the stories about how chaotic the development process was for that game, um, but how they helped define, you know, that genre on console, and some of the decisions they made, like, oh, let's just, just have two weapons instead of this huge inventory. Um, and it had so much soul... Um, it was so characteristic, and I had so many great experiences, whether it was, you know, co-oping through the single player or having LAN parties with your consoles, which you never had before, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that would have been 
great to be a part of that. Yeah, they, I mean, they must have been lucky actually to to get bought by by Microsoft uh, like they did because some of the some of the things that sort of define Halo they that, that must have been something that that Microsoft was actually working on like for instance uh, Land and 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 obviously Xbox Live but it really came out to be and I'm su- such a such a good experience and I'm I, I sometimes really wonder about how how did they do that uh, i mean <laughs> if you ask me uh, the ai in 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 the halo games is still uh unprecedented i mean that that's yes, very it was f- amazing it's just that that's like the high mark and i can't uh, think of any games that that have done it better some have done it just as well but but so to play a single player or a co-op but but against the, the ai and we crank up the the difficulty in a halo game for, to legendary it's just you're not playing against humans obviously but but you're playing against an, an intelligent thing that that knows you're shooting at it and it tries to to duck into cover and it tries to flank you and it it becomes really really difficult in a different way than it's just doing more damage and it can absorb more damage right it's it's really an intelligent way of doing the difficulty and it's it's fascinating that, that they did that so long ago and it's apparently something that's quite uh, difficult to do for other companies because I've, if you ask me there's been a lot of FPS games since then that that just doesn't interest me in the same way because it's not interesting to shoot at those at your enemies, right? Some some games Absolutely. are like it, it's just lemmings and that's okay, but but with the games that that are trying to to achieve that same feeling of of you shooting an, an intelligent enemy, they just fall flat or it's it's not as good, and that's um yeah. No, but I completely agree. I was you know very fascinated by it also because they introduced a lot of human aspects to the AI, right? I mean previously and still you have AI that is just kind of standing there, ducking, going back out, shooting at you, and then you turn off uh, the difficulty, they just become a bit tougher to kill, they shoot a little bit better, they aim better, right? Yeah. But in Halo, you could actually, you know, you could really flank enemies, you could sneak up behind them, if you killed the big guy in the pack, the others would flee, right? And it's like, uh, even on lower difficulties, I find it, uh, you know, very enjoyable to play against, because they're just, they, they kind of have um, psychology to them in a way, they have behaviors, um, that you can also use kind of as a strategic element at times. Um, and, and even though that their, you know, the underlying intelligence systems often doesn't change when you crank up the difficulty, they've said that multiple times, Bungie, or at least in the original Halo, but because they get tougher to kill and aim better, you kind of discover more of, yeah. of their, you know, underlying tactic systems. And that's just very fascinating to witness. Um, they made a lot of smart decisions with that game. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it's I mean uh, I can say that uh, for the last uh, I think two years I've been playing not exclusively but a whole lot of Destiny. I didn't I didn't really like Destiny when it first came out. It was uh, like a lot <laughs> of people. people did. Yeah, a lot of people did like it. And there, there's a huge yeah. community there, but but a lot of, a lot of people didn't like it. But after the Tekken King expansion, King, I, yes. I really uh, and I think a lot of people got on board there. I really yes. liked it and, and not played a whole lot else. And it's just it's so obvious that that the there's some uh, some magic there in in Bungie, and I don't know actually how many people are still the same as from the from the first uh, Halo games, but they they have that 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 core loop of gameplay down, and uh, and they want to make that 30 seconds experience. And and there are a lot of games that fall sort of flat for me nowadays because I'm just I'm thinking that it's it's not fun to 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 actually to do the thing that that you're doing within the game uh, platform games uh, sort of they they have this built in so it's it's always fun to play a Mario game or uh, any good uh, platformer because it's sort of 
yeah, that's what you're doing, right? And it's it's not so obvious in an FPS game that that, that the movements you make sort of have to make sense in, in themselves and be fun in themselves. But 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 uh, Bungie really really nailed that <laughs> in in in, in, a, in a good way. It's a lot of you know small fundamentals that you you know make up that uh, very core uh, gameplay experience. It can also be things like you know sound effects. Yeah. Um, when you shoot someone, when you hit them in certain ways, the kind of feedback that you get, whether it's sound, visuals, user interface things popping up, that can you know make a game go from feeling so-so uh, when you shoot and kill an enemy to feeling you know extremely awesome. Yeah. Uh, but it's a lot of small details that make that up, like that whole core experience. It's it's hard to nail. It's a science uh, and it's an art form. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, so what's your favorite game right now? My favorite game right now is uh, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. Definitely. Oh, yeah, okay. Yes, yes, I fall in love with that. It's that's, uh, yeah. That's so interesting to me because um, that game and those games are well, obviously they're early access, but they also in in a lot of ways feel unfinished. Like they they look unfinished, and there there's a lot of jankiness going on, but. Also, they're they're hitting something, some nerves that that really really resonate with people. What do you what do you think that is? No, but I think in general there's there's a tendency sometimes when you work within areas like games where people feel ah, but it you know, but if it just becomes a little bit more polished, better looking, better sounding, then it will feel right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's completely and utterly bollocks. <laughs> it's if if it's fun. It will be fun even if it's, you know, very unpolished, if it's very janky. Uh, if you can make something fun when it's still that janky and have that many issues, then you have a, a diamond in the rough, and yeah. then you can make something extremely spectacular, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's uh, it's it's a very, you know, uh, it's a great approach, and yeah. they I think they've really struck gold here. Yeah. Again, even though there's a lot of jankiness, there's still a lot of core aspects to the shooting experience even in, in uh, battlegrounds that just is just right yeah. uh, you know when you shoot and when you hit someone there's you know there's uh, some, some small feedback that makes it work still obviously you get frustrated when you get get an error when you when you get a crash and you get booted from the match and you're you know between the four best is you know the worst thing that could ever happen <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah they have something special there it's it's a game that provides an insane amount of tension and excitement um, but still do it does it within a short amount of time so if you die you feel kind of a sense of loss like you could have gotten something but it's not so bad that you feel like you know ah oh, screw this I'm not gonna play this anymore mm. um, you can you can it's you know you can have these very constant short feedback loops where you can go in you can trial and error you can get better you can learn you can learn you can see what others are doing and you can try and get better and then when you win right you get that amazing amazing feeling uh that is that is what games strive to give yeah. uh, players right where you really no, feel like uh, you're top of the world. there's no you, you don't get to keep a piece of equipment after that or anything do you no, but I mean, you earn some coins that you can use to buy crates that can give you some some clothes. But the the thing is, and I think that this game illustrates it very clearly. While you can have these kind of meta layers that you know go, that's a, that's a big thing in games today, right? You know, previously in games and arcade games, you just had a round, a, you know, a single session you played through, and there was nothing permanent. And today, it's a lot about stringing together different, you know, rounds of gameplay 
mm. where you have this permanent persistent progression where you continue to get better and unlock and get new equipment and all of that. And that's very, very attractive and uh, addictive in many ways, right? Yeah. Almost any game has it today. There's something you progress and you become better. But it's still about getting that fundamental right that even without that, yeah. you still want to play and you still want to uh, win or complete. And and on Battlegrounds, they, they, they have that nailed down. So when they continue to develop the game and eventually add more progression on top of it, which they may or may not do, I don't know, but that will just make the game even more uh, you know, addictive when they mm-hmm. when they add that, yeah. uh, um, because they have the core, and you need to have that core, the sweet, juicy, molten lava core. <laughs> so uh, a, a bit of a, a turn here, or, or a, perhaps a broad question: What's, what's your <laughs> proudest achievement? Um, my proudest achievement that was. So um, when I worked with Star Wars Battlefront, yeah. uh, I had a sub team. Uh, that I helped create from scratch to to work on an aspect of the game, and um, I think um, the way that 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 team was set up, the way we got to work, um, to hear that team, to see what they accomplished, to see how they were working, to see how proud they were of how they worked and what they worked on and what they accomplished, mm-hmm. that they were happy, even at times where there was some, you know. More, more, you know, focused areas of work where there was some more time. It wasn't too much. We kept it fairly sane, but there was still something that they felt proud of. They, they didn't become annoyed. They didn't become frustrated. Um, they were just so happy and motivated. And to see the kind of stuff they produced was just amazing. And um, it's an amazing feeling when you get there, when you see a team that's super well functioning and see them create magic. Mm-hmm. Um, that's yeah, that's a fantastic feeling. Yeah. So, what do you say is your proudest achievement within a game, like as a player? As a player in a game? Yeah, that huh. could be anything, right? Like like a literal achievement in an Xbox game, or uh, I don't know, be- beating the hardest level of Super Mario Three or something like that. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think <laughs> uh, I just recently got my first uh, chicken dinner in Battlegrounds. That was I was pretty proud of that. That means number uh, one. That means number one. Yeah. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Uh, that <laughs> that made me proud. Probably the proudest that I've been in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was. Yeah. What else? It's 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 actually pretty hard to remember. I was pretty proud when I you know got Halo the first time we beat it in a in a single sitting. No, actually, yeah, when I when I when I beat Halo on uh, legendary difficulty the first time, yeah. that took a lot of time and a lot of trial. Oh, yeah. um, I was happy to do that finally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's probably what I can remember the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Which game would you suggest that people play, and it can't be anything that Dice has made? <laughs> okay. Um, well, the obvious answer is uh, is Battlegrounds, right? It's. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think everyone has to try that game. It's. Um, it it really provides something fresh. I mean, I know they were building off a clone on. Oh, sorry, a mod on uh, on Armor. Yeah. Um, but but still, it's it's a fairly fresh take on on the first person shooters and the kind of excitement, uh, tension it builds is just amazing. Um, what else? If I'm trying to think of something less known, um, 
I recently started playing uh, Oxygen Not Included, which is a small uh, simulator game yeah. where you have a small uh, space colony. Very interesting uh, simulation game. It's still in early access as well. It doesn't really have an overarching goal other than sustainability and trying just to keep your colony alive for as long as possible. Yeah. But it has a lot of interesting... Uh, you know systems and mechanics, and it's trying. It's it's a game really about trying to tinker and figure out how you get this base to to survive. Yeah. Um, which is it's kind of an interesting uh, uh, metaphor on the world we're in today, right? Where it's also <laughs> about can we attain sustainability and and not fuck this thing up? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and on that note, actually, I think a game I've always been very um, been very uh, inspired and and have a lot of admiration for. Um, what they're called, oh, I always forget their name, Mole Industry, um, that Italian guy, oh, I can't remember, but he made some, some fantastic art games that have a lot of um, political criticism. He made the game September 12th, which is yeah. an, um, a commentary on, on the fight on terrorism, where you basically you control airstrikes in some sort of Middle Eastern village where you have to try and kill the terrorists, and every time you do an airstrike on them, you will eventually, you will also have uh, you know, civilian casualties. Yeah. Some of them will see, you know, people crying at the the feet of the the casualties, and that will spawn new terrorists. And you can't win the game. No. Oh. They also made a McDonald's games, uh, a game McDonald's game where you try to make a McDonald's chain essentially. So you go out, you farm some resources. You have the your production line where you produce the burgers, and then you have the 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 actual store where you sell stuff. Yeah. And the thing is, it's about growth and trying to manage growth, growth because you want the company to thrive. Yeah. But eventually, to to kind of manage that growth, you have to cheat a lot. You have to introduce <laughs> more and more pollution into the the crops. You have to, you know, introduce uh, all kinds of chemicals into the beef, and you have to cut a lot of corners and budgets and whatnot to uh, in the in the actual restaurants around staffing and whatnot. So it just becomes, I mean, you, you want to try in the beginning to be completely ethical, to do the right thing. Yeah, of course. But it becomes impossible. Yeah. And you feel like such an asshole when you start to introduce all of these non-ethical elements, but that's the only way to keep the business afloat. Yeah. Um, he's made some, I think that's the strongest use of game as, a, as an art form when you use mechanics, game mechanics, yeah. as a way to um, comment uh, politically or, or in any other way. Yeah. Uh, it's extremely powerful. So how do you how do you uh, how do you find indie games to play? Um, good question. I it's it's my network mainly. I think you know, you know, friends on on Facebook or uh, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, what you hear. Sometimes it's also browsing various sites and forums. I. You know, I'm still someone who lurks uh, on NeoGAF, the the very old and notorious gaming forum. Yeah. Um, but it's it's mainly what I hear from from sources. I'm not the kind of person who's really great at, at discovering stuff myself, no. uh, or of a a follower in that regard. But uh, luckily, I know a lot of people that are, you know, first movers and try a lot of stuff and then report back when there's good. But well, it is difficult. I mean, and, and there's just so, so many games out, and also so many great games, and it's. It's 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 hard, and uh, that's what that's one of my uh, grudges with with Steam is that they're sort of they could have been. I think Netflix, for instance, has a pretty good algorithm of, of trying to t- suggest you things that that you'd probably like. But when yeah. I go to to Steam and that that list there, they're serving me, and uh, I've played maybe two hours of Rust, and that's 
sort of like the only survival game I've ever played. Like, and uh, they just <laughs> it always suggests me uh, play unknowns battlegrounds and 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 that whole genre of games there that, that I don't play and haven't played. And it's just so obvious that this is because everybody else is playing it. It's not because it's yeah. something for me. And I'm just really annoyed by that. I mean, I, I, I really hate that suggestion list because it's so obvious. This is just a marketing tool. Uh, so I'm like, please. I mean, uh, for instance, like last year, I really fell in love with uh, Ori and the Blind Forest. And I was like, come on, man. Show me some <laughs> other games that are like this. I'd I, 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 pay happily for for other metroidvanias in, in this genre and it's just i had to ask people right i mean yeah, hey this yeah. is a super good game i didn't know about it what 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 else is there right because steam was just not helpful at all which is such a shame <laughs> i mean the games are they right can there. definitely <laughs> yeah they can definitely improve their algorithms on that on yeah. that area uh, without a doubt um but then i think another problem um it's the lack of uh, of demos really for games. Um, yeah. I think when when Microsoft first started offering games via Xbox Live, right, it was a requirement that every game had a demo. Yeah, I'm remember. actually not sure if they still have that on Xbox. I don't right? think so. I don't think so. Um, but I thought that was a great move. Yeah, an absolutely fantastic move because it's really really damn hard. It's impossible to know if you like a game before you try it. Mm. And I know it sucks from a um, and you know, a business standpoint, like oh, but then you know, you might lose some some revenue because and some profit because people don't buy it. They try it and then they don't like it and they don't buy it. But I fundamentally believe that you you only want to sell sell to people that truly enjoy your game. Of course, you shouldn't. You don't want to demo the last too long so people they kind of finish it. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, and it's fine if you put in restrictions like it's only one level or whatever. But at least try it because you just can't truly showcase a game through other media than a game. No. You can see videos, you can see screenshots, you can see other people play it. Yeah. And that, that, that will get you pretty far, but it's still not until you play it yourself that you really know, is this for me? Yeah. So that's that's my big encouragement in this industry, is like make make demos for everything. Um even if the shortest of demos. <laughs> do you ever play RPGs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah. So when you're building, when you're making a character, do do you try to to create yourself, or do you just make some random character? Uh I've been going a bit back and forth. I think in the beginning, when they really started cranking up the the dials on all the customizable elements on characters, I I had some attempts to recreate myself, mm-hmm. but uh, I've actually kind of grown tired of all of those options, to be honest. So. Yeah. I don't want to spend time on going in, changing my eyebrows and changing my chin and all of that. Um, so sometimes I just use the random generator until there's something that I find somewhat interesting. I, I guess I prefer to go for something that kind of resembles myself, but I don't have a strong preference, really. No. This is a really interesting uh, subject for me because I know a lot of people really they identify so much with their character, so it's mm-hmm. important for them to to actually be able to to play themselves, or they, it's important for them to to create something to express themselves, which could mean like they look totally different. And right. also a lot of I know a lot of, uh, for instance, World of Warcraft players that are they they are playing as female characters because they don't want to look at the uh, ass of a man for so many <laughs> hours, which is like totally weird for me. At, and, and I'm just 
what so there's so many angles to to yeah. your avatar and people have so many different ways of coming at this and it's just it's really fascinating for me i remember uh, an old uh, forum discussion discussion of games at, at some point there was this, this topic about if you could see your hands in an fps and some of the the, the players they were just they just hated it if you can't see your hands and I oh, think yeah. it, all games now you, you show you show your hands and you show the weapon, but at the point it was not it, it wasn't necessarily something you had, and I just I'd never noticed. It's also that. like do you, do you see your body when you look down? That was also a thing at some point, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Do you see that, and what's the importance of that for immersion? And I mean, yeah, I yeah. can understand the, the 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 discussion. Obviously, it's more immersive if you do see yourself, but I, I just I, I didn't notice at all. I <laughs> I mean, I just played the game, and and when all of a sudden now there's there's uh, arms and, and a gun in there, and that's cool. And and for instance, in Destiny, you can you can actually tell that's a lot of information on your weapon about uh, how many bullets you have left and such. But uh, and that's cool. But uh, it didn't didn't really bother me at the time. I think now I'd, I would probably think it looked weird. It was just a, a sight on the screen. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, the 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 standards, uh, the bar is is being raised all the time, obviously, yeah. right? And I think it's almost always about keeping that you know sense of illusion. Um, it's like a magic show, right? You, know, yeah, you yeah, never yeah. want people to see outside of 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 the trick. And um, as games keep progressing and setting new bars, others will have to follow because then players will start picking up, right? Yeah. Well, now there's a new standard. And now, if you look down, you're expecting to see something. And if you don't see something, then it breaks the illusion before it just didn't because you weren't used to that. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's in, that, in that way, you can say it's always annoying when someone sets a new standard because then everyone <laughs> else has to follow before that no one were wiser. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's, that's how it goes, right? It's all for the best, really. Yeah. Have you ever taken a vacation or, or skipped school specifically to, to play a video game? Yes. <laughs> what was that? Uh, let's see. Let's see. Um, I remember I was extremely hyped for Diablo 2 back oh. in the day when that came out. Yeah, I was up uh, at night getting it from the store when they opened at midnight mm-hmm. um, to get it. I went home and played it and then skipped school for a day or two there. Um there was some. There was actually a game last year where I took a vacation day, um, and now, funny enough, I can't remember which game it was. <laughs> but there was a game uh, last summer that came out. But that's that's horrible that I can't even remember what it was anymore. Uh, but but it happens. It happens from time to time that I get. I can I can still get pretty hyped, uh, pretty psyched about a game. I was pretty hyped about the new Civilization that came out mm-hmm. uh, last fall. Uh, it didn't take a vacation day, but. Uh, I played it quite a lot and snuck in a few extra hours at work to play it as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it happens. Not not as much as before. Um, I don't rarely get as hyped as I've been in the past, but I think that's part of growing up, probably. <laughs> so so what are you what are you hyped for this uh, this coming fall season? <sighs> this coming fall season, I'm not actually completely sure. Oh. Um, I don't have a Switch yet, and I, I, I really want to play um, Zelda, and mm-hmm. I haven't and that annoys me. Uh, I know that's already out, but it could be maybe that I buy a Switch, jump in, and, and also play the new Mario, which I also think looks looks great. Yeah. Um, I actually, I'm not, I'm not so sure what I'm looking forward to play this this fall. As from from, from kind of a, a work perspective, I'm interested to see what uh, Call of Duty are doing with their. Uh, with their World War II reboot. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, I mean, 
I, I would, to be honest, I've not been 100% on the Destiny bandwagon, but I am looking forward to Destiny 2, and I, uh, my goal is to play it as well. Yeah. Um, and see if, if, if they catch me more uh, this time around early on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think otherwise I'm, I'm much more kind of, um, you know, ad hoc uh, kind of <laughs> guy now. Until something pops up that kind of gets on my radar. Mm-hmm. Um, they pushed out the new South Park game, which, fine. I mean, let them take their time. It, it looks amazing, and I want them to make it the best game they can make. Yeah. Um, the, the new Spider-Man game is not coming this fall, right? It's, it's later than that, I believe. Uh, I can't actually remember. I, I think it's it's 18. Yeah, I think so too. Um, but I'm looking forward to that as well. But uh, otherwise, I'm actually not too sure. Um, besides that, no, huh? no. It's it's um, there's nothing right now that really is getting my heart uh, pumping, except for the the Star Wars game. <laughs> Maybe no, sorry, not the Star Wars. I mean South Park. Obviously, the Star Wars game. It's it's you know it's yeah, Dyson. Yeah. Well, but I'm you know you said before I'm not supposed to to mention those. Um, <laughs> if you are hyped to play the new Star Wars game, you can say so. <laughs> I mean it's 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 interesting, right? Because when you work on a game, it's you, you can't be hyped for it like like that because you are already playing it internally and you've been through the process of making the game and it's you know hype usually comes from the the, the the unknown of getting something yeah. that you can't get right now it's it's a pretty weird feeling actually and, and it's often you know creates a lot of disappointment in the end yeah uh, so I think it's very hard to be hyped for something that you're you know working on yourself also yeah. because you know game development is super messy and then you see the game when it's not pretty yeah. you see the game when it's broken uh, you see the game when it's not fun, when it has flaws and whatnot, and and uh, you actually need to be pretty great at looking beyond all of that when you work with games, because yeah. it's it's you know what I remember back when I wanted to work with games, but I was young and even I didn't, I was thinking like oh but working with these games and when I can play it a year before it comes out and that's so great, no it's not. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, there can be moments of greatness, you know, when when then things are falling into place, but there's always various issues. It doesn't mean it's not, you know, fun to some degree, but it's not like playing the final thing. A lot of stuff comes together uh, in the final uh, in the final uh, period of time. Yeah. So uh, so so yeah. Don't don't think it's like oh you can just play that game you're looking forward to all the way throughout because it's you know it's not that game. Until it comes out. No. Really. Do you have any sort of uh, technique or, or way to uh, like uh, cleanse your your palate from 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 each uh, playthrough so, so that you're sort of experiencing the game as as a as a consumer would at any given point? Uh, yeah. Um, sometimes it's as simple as taking a break from it. Yeah. Uh, obviously, when you're working on the game. It's it's good when you participate in playtests uh, because it gives a lot of valuable data yeah. uh, during development, whether it's technical data or more soft data like you know what worked and what didn't work um, in various things. Um, but still, take a break, especially. I mean, it could be after that it comes out, and you take a little break for it, and then you return. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's the only real way, and then you know, play some other games in the meantime, yeah. so you kind of forget it a little bit, try yeah. to, and then come back to it. Yeah, that's probably the best. 
I think in software development, the some people are really good at it, but but and that's that's a skill basically to have. But most uh, developers are, are people like myself. We just you have to make a list to sort of make sure that you're that you're checking. Um, just make making sure every, everything works still on each step of the of the development of any given uh, I make websites for instance and, and obviously also we have a lot of uh, automated tests that so you you write tests that that test stuff so you, so you can make sure because just if you just sit there and click through your website each, uh, each time to make sure that everything works it's guaranteed that you will miss something and all of a sudden you have sort of uh, deployed a, a website that that breaks for uh, for something because it's just uh, you, you just can't um, remember all the the different um, variations of your site, and you you, you get oh, no. with it basically. So just oh, I yeah, mean, yeah, this works. That, that's why I mean, and we've done that at Dice as well. You know, embrace uh, public testing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Because it's uh, games today; they're so big. There's so many uh, aspects and facets, and you know, there's this you know common thing. You say like you you fix one bug and then you introduce two new, if that can even do it, right? Yeah. But it's I mean, it's such a complicated process, and you won't believe it how how easy it is to break things often. And like, how do you know that? And if the thing is today, you need to push out updates faster and faster and faster because yeah. people want that, right? Um, and they expect that nowadays. But like, how do we then make sure that? Nothing else gets broken. So when you can use, you know, players that are willing to say, okay, we're we're gonna take in a, a build that's been less tested and and might have some flaws, and then we can report back on those flaws. That's is so uh, so valuable. It's it, it's insane, and especially when it's players that really really care about your game and they can really tell you, oh, this you know small small thing that I really really noticed, but 99% of all other players wouldn't notice. It's it's fantastic, really. It's yeah. it's such a great resource. Yeah, um, and on that note, uh, one of my favorite things, one of my favorite stories about video games, or, or, or perhaps uh, games in a broader sense, is um, when you hear that, uh, that when when the game got out to to the players, they d- discovered uh, like s- some way of doing something that the developers hadn't anticipated or or just didn't know about, and then. When th- when that when players started doing that, it sort of informed the 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 game going forward. For instance, uh, in uh, I think in uh, Project Gotham Racing, uh, there was this Nuremberg Ring, uh, big racing track, and and the players uh, just they invented this uh, sort of game. I think it's called Cat and Mouse, where you, s- you sort of split up into right. teams of two, and then one guy had the fastest car, and the other guy had the had the uh, slowest car, and then you had to sort of push the slow slowest car around that ten kilometer track the fastest. And I'm pretty sure that 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 showed up as a as an actual game mode in later in later games. And and also my favorite example is how how in Richard Garfield creating Magic the Gathering, he just he had this uh, idea that oh this uh, the Black Lotus it's gonna be a rare thing and if you're lucky you'll have one in your deck and it's okay that it's super overpowered because you'll just have the one and then it sort of creates a dynamic and he he just he hadn't anticipated at all that people would just 
open boosters and boosters boosters to to make sure that they had four black <laughs> lotuses in in that deck i don't know if you know magic the gathering but a it, little bit i've i've never played it uh, that the card is banned because it's it's it completely <laughs> breaks everything it costs you yeah. nothing and it'll make you get you three uh, resources so so not you have to pay for everything you do in game you like you want a big monster then you have to pay for it so if yeah. you if you have four of the black lotus and you can just start your first turn you, you're pretty much pretty much make sure that you'll have one on your first term it costs you nothing and then you have free resources so you can buy something that costs you three in the very first turn that's just that's just super broken <laughs> and of course they had to ban that and they had to ban the the, the power nine as they call other cards that this sort of similar things and that's just super interesting to me so you do you have any like like stories of that where you you discovered players did something within your game and then you said oh instead of just like like patching it out you sort of said uh yeah let, let's let's make that into an actual mechanic or, or let's do something cool with this um i don't think so i don't think i actually and that's pretty unfortunate because i do really really enjoy when those things happen but i there's as far as i can recall uh, I don't remember any th- of those instances uh, oh. happening to me. Uh, no, I, I hope so because it's 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 so amazing, you know, when it happens and and, and players discover something and you, or you just see something unexpected take off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I think actually, uh, players in Halo games uh, they uh, they invented that zombie uh, game. Yes, yes. Uh, I don't know if it if if it wasn't a game before Halo, but I definitely remember that you just you had to do it manually like like start on 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 two different teams and and the blue teams were the zombies and the reds were were, were humans and then you had to sit there and manually switch over to the other team and then later on of course it was a, it was an actual game mode in FPS games and uh, I, I really like that oh yeah yeah i mean it's it's you know there's so many more players than developers right yeah. and and players also they have ideas 99% of them suck <laughs> uh, as, as do they for developers? I mean, it, that's just how ideas work. Um, but then, when you when they have the opportunity to try them out, and you know, eventually, you'll see something work. So the 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 more people you have with ideas, and with the ability to try them out, the higher the chance of something great uh, popping out will be. Um, and that's that's the power of of, of the you know strong. You know, player communities with the right tools in the game to 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 make something. Yeah, the biggest example of this is obviously mods like uh, yes, like player battle, player unknowns battlegrounds. That was like you said, a, a mod for for Armor Three actually first, and also obviously MOBAs that were a mod for for Starcraft. I think it's it's uh, it's you know so interesting if you go, and I know this is very much looking at at PC right, but if you go and look at the top Steam games, yeah. You will see it being dominated by what is anyway originally mods. Yeah. Whether it's Counter Strike, or Dota, or or Battlegrounds, uh, because again, Battlegrounds more or less being based on the armor mod, right? And and, yeah. and that kind of stuff. Um, Team Fortress 2 again. Team Fortress started being a mod. Um, a lot, a lot of 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 industry. Blockbusters and bestsellers are based on mod, and again, League of Legends again being based on the original Dota, which was yeah. a mod. It's it's just you know, you see a lot of the big big games today being based on mods one way or another, whether it's on the name level or just on the genre, the subgenre yeah, yeah, yeah. created. So that that I think goes to show you, 
it's, it's a testimony to to the value of of uh, you know, unleashing the kind of power to to players. Yeah. So uh, and and in relation to that, do do you follow esports? Uh actually no, I'm not I'm not a, I'm not big on esports yet. No. Um, I understand um, kind of why people find it fascinating, um, but there's not not a game that really have taken me yet in that sense and I'm not big on MOBAs to be honest so so and that's that's mainly what esports is today right I know there's a few other things and FPSs but but yeah no it, it's not it's not really gotten a hold of me yet I mean depending on how you look at it you can I don't know if you can say League of Legends is the biggest one or Counter-Strike is the biggest one they there they are some tournaments in, in Counter-Strike that have huge audiences yeah, yeah. and obviously Dota 2 has, has the international which is the biggest single event uh, so it's like uh, yeah how do, how do you even measure that uh, I don't play any MOBAs myself but half of the last three years I think I've, I've actually I've watched the international and I wanted to, to see what it was all about and, and it's MOBA is just a, it's a very difficult challenge to sort of uh, understand because there's so much going on. But, but as I got to understand it, and, 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 and at the time, they had actually, they had the newbie streams, which is super awesome because then, then they sort of just explained everything from the bottom each time. So, and it, it, it was supposed to be for people who didn't know. So they can just start over each match. They, they explained what that item did or what that item did which is super cool and now I, I try to watch it every year because it's the energy of it is just so fascinating and and, and right. you can see those plays and and that is just i mean the the, the skills that that these players display is just it's crazy so so you can see some really i, I would i would suggest everybody to, to try to watch the international but <laughs> but uh spend a little bit of time first to to get, really get to understand what's actually going on but obviously if, if i think that's that's yeah that's i mean that's the fundamentals right i i for example i don't you know watch a lot of sports but one of those i watch is cycling yeah which is one of the sports that a lot of people look at and say why the hell would you watch that it's just people on a bike pedaling you definitely have to uh, know the rules as well in that because otherwise it's boring right and not just the rules it's also about what goes on in the heads yeah, the meta of game, riders right? what's the meta game what's the tactics what's the strategies what am I supposed to understand here? What's what's going on in this situation or that situation, right? Yeah. I think for every sport that's important, and obviously if you can make a sport where there's but where that's more apparent, you get a game like you know soccer yeah, where yeah. it is a lot more apparent. It's a lot easier to get into. You will also get a bigger following, obviously. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, that I mean that makes a lot of sense, and I. I uh, you know, I should probably do it, but you know, I'm also getting old and I'm not young and hip anymore. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I remember the South Park episode where they actually commented on this, where Stan's little brother he's just watching stream streamers playing games, and Stan was like, "What? Why are you not playing? Come on, come down with me and my buddies, and we'll sit in front of the TV and play a game." He's like, "Oh, you're so old, dude. What up, Grandpa? <laughs> I don't yeah. play games. I just watch them." I I actually sat there and felt kind of. I could relate to that. Like, am I am I also old now? Because, I mean, I I don't watch a lot of streams. Uh, to be honest, I I do prefer to play the games. I mainly watch it if it's trying to understand the game better and understand some of the strategies yeah. and tactics. But that's basically it. Um, so yeah, I'm probably. I think that's probably getting ancient. Two different ways to watch, or two different uh, genres of, of watching a stream. One is 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 just watching uh, skills displayed, so it's like a competitive setting. 
it could be any esports game. Uh, so you just you're just watching people that are really good and they go at it. But the other thing, and that's 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 what I'm personally watching is is it's much more like uh, watching uh, entertaining television with a with a host that you like, and then you can sort of actually interact with with the person there, and also the the chat itself. Uh, is sometimes really toxic, but but on good channels you you, you you sort of get to know people and you can you can you can talk to them and that's that's definitely what I'm doing. I'm I've been watching a quite a lot of, of Destiny streams and I, I mean watching somebody play Destiny in itself is not really interesting because I'm not seeing a whole lot of things that are I mean typically they're they're not uh, they're not the best players in the world. Some are you, there are definitely definitely super good Destiny players, but that's that's not the ones not the ones that I'm watching. I'm watching. Like just a funny guy playing a video game that I like, and and it's because he's funny, and it's because there's a good, good community, good sense of community that, that I'm yeah, there, yeah. And, and just doing the dishes and, and <laughs> laughing at the jokes and stuff like that. So it's sort of, it's 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 replaced the television in a lot of ways for me <laughs> because there's so much. I mean, I don't want, I don't like to watch Flow TV, and it's just more interesting for me to be sort of now. Now I have my foot in the door of a of a, of a video game community that I, that I actually like. That makes sense. Uh, but yeah, that also takes a bit of... I mean, you, you have to sort of find the right person and, and, and getting there because some, some Twitch channels are definitely meant for uh, for younger audiences. And yeah, <laughs> I'm not... I'm not uh, would be able to... I wouldn't be able to watch PewDiePie for more than five minutes, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your age is really showing there because he's a YouTuber. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, but yes, but I want to be respectful of your time and, and you've uh, answered so many of my questions. So so thanks for that. Uh, and I just uh, want to ask you, um, do you have any, any social media that you would like people to, to find you on and may perhaps uh, ask you questions about it or something? <sighs> I mean, I, I have a... Twitter account, I rarely use it. I've tried a couple of times to, you know, get, you know, really on Twitter and use it, and I've just haven't been able to. But I'm there. Okay. Uh, and you can follow me. I think it's the Jesper N. Uh, it's my Twitter handle. I can't remember, to be honest. <laughs> um, besides that, I'm, I'm, yeah, lurking on NeoGAF, as I said, on various Reddits, but there's, I guess there's not an easy way to look me up. So I think I think Twitter is probably the best way. Uh, okay. Then it's just about me remembering to log in once in a while to check things and, 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 and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I still find Twitter to be just such a chaos of comments and, yeah, um, and trying to figure out, you know, getting a good overview of what's being said and not being said and... I, you know, once, I mean, I quickly f- become fed up when I follow, a, you know, one too many where it's like, oh my God, what? It's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Twitter, that's a, that's a skill in itself, definitely. Do we have any other parting thoughts? Um, uh, no, I think, uh, I think we've talked a lot about, uh, about a lot of interesting subjects. I think, again, for people that, uh, want to work with uh, with games? If any of those are are listening, it's it's. I think in general, um, pursue it if you're really passionate about it. But also be be cautious. You know, once you work with something that you like to spend your time on, it might you might like to spend time on it less. Um, <laughs> it's it's like uh, I could imagine that a a chef. When you know when a chef comes home from work, I mean, does she want to c- cook or maybe 
I'm not saying a chef doesn't enjoy food as much, but you know, when you work with you know this thing every day and it becomes sometimes really tough, you can also sometimes get a bit too much of it. Yeah. Uh, that's not saying that I still enjoy games, right? But it's in a in a different way. And when I see some of my friends that don't you know work in the games industry, I do kind of I feel a, like they have maintained a little bit of that kind of innocence uh, <laughs> of not knowing what goes on on the on the slaughterhouse factory, uh, so to speak. Um, so 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 I, I think people should just be cautious of that. Um, um, it, it will probably hit some people harder than others, uh, and some might not be impacted at all. But uh, it is tough work. It's it's very satisfying. It can be extremely satisfying, but it is also uh, tough work. It's an industry where people, you know, you're looking for the best talent. You 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 demand a lot of people because it's still really cutthroat and and it's a very competitive landscape. Um, so you really have to stay top of your game. But then when when you really do and you excel and you become your best self with the rest of the team, it's an amazing experience. And, uh, and yeah, and if you're passionate about it, then go nuts and just, you know, start making games. <laughs> yeah, okay. So just make sure that you can handle uh, knowing how the sausage gets made. <laughs> exactly, yes. <laughs> okay, Jesper, thank you very much. This was uh, this is pretty awesome, and I hope that the people listening got a, got a glimpse into to what goes on in, in Dyson in your life, what it is to be a producer of, a, of big video games in the AAA space. Thank you very much. Thanks. And I want to thank you for listening to this episode of Player Characters. If you want to hear more interviews with people working with video games, please subscribe to Player Characters on SoundCloud or iTunes and of course tell all your friends about it. You can find show notes and links on freeplay.co slash playercharacters. That's freeplay.co slash playercharacters. And you can get in touch with me on Twitter at 7th Sun DK. That's Sun with a U and DK as in the letters D and K. Thank you. <laughs>